Welcome to Where We Talk Art. This is your host, Victor Gartner, and today I am in Madawaska, Maine. Yes, a little town way up in northern Maine, and actually, I'm at a, a lakeside house that's owned by our guest today, William Lloyd Duncan, who we uh, call Bill. Are we comfortable with that? Sure, yeah. All right. And Bill is uh, a person who's doing a variety of different art mediums. I, I, I would say that if I look at his, his gallery, I'm going to find work in watercolors and acrylics and dry point etchings, oils, monotype, prints, and drawings. There's a lot going on in this gallery. <laughs> so uh, we will begin our talk right after this brief message. This is Partnership for the Arts. Come join us as we explore the world of art. You can find us on our Facebook page at Partnership for the Arts Group Talk Show. Or you can find us on our new website at pftatalkshow.org. PFTA Talk Show is recorded at the Visual Arts Center in Punta Gorda, Florida. All right, we are back, and as I said, our guest today is Bill Duncan of New Sweden, Maine, or, or would you rather say it's Stockholm, Maine? Well, technically, <laughs> it's Madawaska Lake, Maine. It is Madawaska Lake, yeah. Maine. We, uh, it used to be T16R4, which is Township 16 Range 4. It was just a number on a grid. It was. Townships. Yes. And uh, we voted a few years ago to... To adopt the name Madawaska Lake, which you know the name's the name of our lake here. Of course, that's been uh, been named that for a long time. Is this still considered unorganized territory? Yes. So we don't have any form of of uh, you know town government here. We're come under the state. We pay our taxes to the state, and I guess the only interactions we have is they control the uh, the property. So we have to live to the rules of the. The land use regulation for the state. Right, right. So, is there a is there a, uh, an interpretation of the name Madawaska? I think it's land of the porcupine. No kidding. Yeah, ah. that's, that's what I that's what I understand. I've been working on a sketch for a, a logo for a porcupine, but it's it's kind of rare to to uh, to see one around. My wife's family built a camp just a little bit down the road and uh, it's it was really quite rudimentary compared to what it is today mm -hmm. and my wife thinks it was built in the 50s and at that time they had a long-term lease from That's the right. paper company which owned all of the land including the lake that's that sounds right um Maybe not the lake itself, but uh, I think in Maine, the lakes are are public property. Okay. But but you know certainly they 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 I'm sure they own the, most of the land around the lake. And then one day they got a letter from the timber company saying that for X number of dollars they could buy that lot that they'd been leasing all the while, plus a lot of equal size on the opposite side of the road. Yeah. And you'd have to be a fool to turn that down. <laughs> uh, that was, uh, gosh, that was back in the 80s or 
soon after we bought the old camp that was here. And uh, it was kind of a stretch for us. I think we had to put some of that on our credit card to, mm-hmm. to make it, but it certainly was worth the investment. Oh, absolutely. Think about what these camps are going for now compared yes, to what yeah, they were at that time. It's amazing. It is. Absolutely. You've been here how many years then? That's well, well, we've lived here uh, probably 26, 27 years full time. And before that, we had a small camp that was just a, a garage, an old garage that somebody hauled up and put windows in and kept building porches on. And it was, it was cute, but it was uh, it wasn't winterized. So All right. Uh, my wife grew up on the lake. Um, her family had this. I don't know if you remember Stan's. Oh, general store. Well, that used to be Buzzle's store. They sold it to Stan. So uh, she uh, she came here when she was <laughs> one year old, I think, and 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 uh, grew up over there. And then you know the, her family's had a camp here forever. Is that the same Buzzle's family that owned the Buzzle's clothing store exactly. in downtown Caribou? Yeah. yeah. So it used to be the Buzzle's store at the lake, and they they sold it to Stan and, and moved to Caribou. And, uh, a nice new building. Well, Stan's was uh, well known for people gathering there during the day to, to get their mail, to gas their cars, and to get coffee. Yes, 10 cents a cup. 10 cents a cup forever it was 10 cents a cup. <laughs> it was yes. more of a public service, I think, than a business. Yeah, he wasn't making any money on the coffee. <laughs> <laughs> but people would get there and, and you know, you'd hear about the news of the lake. Did you hear about so and so? And gee, we're going to have to help, you know, this person because uh, you know they've just come back from the hospital, and let's let's make some meals for them and that kind of thing, you know, taking care of one another. Yeah, which was wonderful. We used to vote over there. That was about the only public function that we had was uh, the you know voting at stands. Mm-hmm. Well, Bill, I took a look at whatever I could find on the internet related to you and your art, and the kinds of things that, that you do that are creative. And I also found your artist statement. So I'm going to read to you a couple of sentences, one at a time, but after each sentence, I'd, I'd like you to uh, give me a little bit of an elaboration of, of what your thought was when you added this sentence to your artist statement. So my first one is, Oh, I am interested in exploring shared cultures and community through art. Well, it sounds like it must have been for my graduate degree. (laughs) I I did quite a few community projects when I was was in grad school. And it still interests me, and I still try to help out where I can. Uh, My latest project was actually creating a map for the new uh, trails that they've created in Stockholm, the, the town that's closest to us here. Well, by trails, do you mean like the the off-road? No, well, I didn't include those, but they had cut some trails through the woods, and it was more for hiking and snowshoeing in particular. Oh. So they've got five-mile trail, I think, that goes um, from the river all the way up to the old fire watch tower. Mm-hmm. It was really restored, but tried to keep maintenance up on it. Right. To keep it from falling down. Oh. So that's the that's the big loop. That fire tower is, is listed in one of the things that can be seen in that area. So I was wondering if it was actually open to the public. To- it was open last time we climbed up there. 
So you climb up the tower, and there's like a little shed at the top there with right. the, with the windows all the way around, mm-hmm. and you would actually come up through a trap door, of course, yes. from the from the tower. But I, it's a beautiful view. I bet it would be, absolutely. And you also said in your statement that there was a project you called it artwork for the revitalization of Stockholm, Maine, your adopted town. Yes. Um, I don't know if they've adopted me, but... <laughs> <laughs> well, change your name so it sounds Swedish, like Duncanson. Yes. I think I've got a little bit of uh, a little bit of Nordic blood in me. Oh, you had the DNA test? Yeah, the DNA test done, so I was surprised to see that. I don't know, it was probably the Vikings raiding my Scottish ancestors. <laughs> it could be, absolutely. So, so what are you trying to do to revitalize? Well... I'm trying to remember exactly what my intention was. I think what I ended up doing for a project was really just kind of a an informal survey. Mm-hmm. So I gathered together uh, some questions, and I took a lot of photographs. I was I was doing photography primarily. All right. And they were panoramas of you know, different aspects of the town, uh, the churches. You know, the, you know, there's not a lot of buildings. It's a very small village. But I don't know if it's. It is small. Is it 300, 500 at the most? Mm. And I went to a town meeting, was at the, at the fire station, and put up a bunch of my photographs and put up this these survey sheets. You know, it was the questions, and uh, so there was a grid below it. I gave everybody, it's fairly complicated, gave everybody a set of little stick-on dots, and they were to go around and put the dots on the questions that they thought were most uh, relevant to the town. Mm. So it was, um, it was kind of a, a basic uh, business thing. I can't even remember what it's called. SWAT, uh, strengths and weaknesses and threats and opportunities. I think was the, you know, and those were the four categories of questions that I had. I hoped it would be evident to the people that saw it. I mean, it was kind of an immediate thing, you know, because of the, the marks that they were or the dots they were putting on each question. You know, what what people's priorities were. But it was it was kind of a. Uh, an interesting project, and I presented that you know back at school. That was part of my master's program. And I think I showed it uh, you know at the local university as well. I had a, a show a little bit later, a group show, and and presented it there as well. Is is Stockholm having a hard time? I think all of the little towns around here are. Um, the school has since closed. Uh, they send their students to uh, Caribou. They've had a little bit of a bump here. I think there was some some families that were moving in, and there seems to be some movers and shakers in there. They're trying to get together. It's like a hundred thousand dollars for a new playground. Mm-hmm. So um, I'm seeing a little little bit of a spark there. Well, that sounds positive. You said that I wish to support efforts to keep this community viable. So that kind of goes hand in hand with what you've just just been saying that you're you're trying to get something you're you're, you're trying to make some forward momentum here. Well, I am I am a little bit of an outsider. I mean, I'm five miles from downtown Stockholm, but you know we're Matawaska Lake, so we're you know a little bit removed and mm-hmm. and like most places, the only people that think you're native are the people that come after you. That's what I've learned. <laughs> wow. Yeah. I never did ask you, where, where were you born? Actually, not that far away in Caribou. So that's oh, okay. 20, min, 20 minutes south. 
That's very close. But you're not from New Sweden. You're and not I, from Stockholm. <laughs> and growing up, you know, we went to we went to school with the kids from from uh, New Sweden and Stockholm. They call it the main Swedish colony. Is kind of the little yes. grouping of, of towns. Yes. Uh, it's an informal informal identity. How many towns are in that group? Well, I can't. One one thing I was doing I was trying to expand it. <laughs> so I worked with a group called. Uh, uh, Main Swedish Colony Incorporated, mm-hmm. and it was kind of a meta historical group, and they were they were doing projects. They actually were the ones that rehabbed the uh, blacksmith shop in Sweden, and there was a log, two story log home that they uh, that they had gotten control over, uh, and they were they uh, uh, re- rehabbed that that building. Oh, is that the one that that you painted? Did you I did. To yes, yeah. Two story long home. That was. I. I yes. did, did you? I don't know if you saw the series that I did, of uh, sort of for other colonies, some in uh, Stockholm and Woodland and uh, New Sweden. Those are three of the towns in this, in, and uh, in the main Swedish colony. Uh, anybody that where any place where the Swedes originally settled when they came right. in 1870. Mm-hmm. Uh, so it was in Parham a little bit to the west and. Connor, um, and uh, I included, I always included Caribou with anything I did just because, uh, you know, there were Swedes that settled there, and I figured we should be colonizing them as well. All right. Turning the page here, and I looked at your, your gallery on Facebook, as I said earlier, and you have done paintings of historic sites, just like you, you said here, and you did them in uh, a medium called dry pastel, and I am not familiar with that. I know oil pastels and and soft pastels, but what are dry pastels? <laughs> I just picked up on that term recently. I've always, you know, because I do work in or chalk pastels, I've also, I've also called them, but I thought dry pastels was a new term that I hadn't used, so I've been throwing that around lately. Um, mostly I've been using the oil pastels. I just find them to be easy to travel with and you know, when I call them crayons, I seem to be stuck in my in my crayon mode, I say. Mm-hmm. Well, I'm the pastel artists that I know often have a bucket of green, a bucket of yellows, a bucket of reds. I mean, how do you travel with that? <laughs> no, mine is very, I'll have to show you, it's, it's uh, I use the, uh, what's the brand name, Karen Dash, the Swiss uh, brand. And there's like 48 colors. And it's just like a box of 48, except they're all nicely laid out in a shallow pan so I mm-hmm. can uh, you know, see them. And I just, I kind of know those colors now and I know how to mix them and to get what I want. You can mix them. Well, to a certain extent. Uh, yesterday it was like, you know, <laughs> it was about 85 degrees here, which is very warm. I know, I know people in Florida don't think much of it, but, uh, and, you know, they kind of soften up a little bit when it gets warm and, okay. and they go on nice and smooth and, and uh, I can go one over the other and and, uh, and mix the colors a little bit. If I'm if I really you know if it's cold if the, if the colors are cold, uh, I can use a little bit of uh, I use uh, the odorless mineral mineral spirits. I've, I've got a brush there and I can go in and it kind of dissolves the colors a little bit and mixes them together. I don't do that a lot, but uh, I, for some reason that you know, whenever it strikes me, I'll I'll dig that out. I've got a little tiny bottle of it that I carry with. Me. I am going to stop us for a moment. 
bell so that we can have another message. And folks, we will be back in just a moment. I'm Lori Potts with Lori Potts Art, and I listen to Where We Talk Art. Well, we are back, and we are talking with artist Bill Duncan, who lives in Madawaska Lake. And we were just talking about uh, different types of art forms that Bill does, and uh, he was also showing me a couple of pieces of his very nice work done in pastel, and he was doing homes, historic homes, in this area. So, Bill, how did you decide which ones to do? What was it about those particular houses? Well, they're usually associated with the historical societies in in some way. There's a, uh, I don't know if you've been to the Lagerstrom House in Woodland. I don't think I have. That is such a cute little place, uh, and I've been wanting to paint that for a long time. We went out earlier. <laughs> it, was, it was still quite cold when we got home from Florida, but went out and, uh, and painted that. And it, Actually, the roof was in such terrible condition, and uh, I ended up donating that painting for them to raffle off just to raise some money to, mm. to help save that building. The, the two-store log home was another one that I did, and, and the blacksmith shop. Those are all part of uh, New Sweden Historical Society. Um, and their their museum, uh, they call it the Capitolium, was the original name in Swedish for settlers. Uh, that was like the first public building that they built. And there's a little little one room school next door to them. I, I painted that. Uh, and there's also a school out in Westmanland. Oh, that was the that was another one of the Swedish colony communities of Westmanland. Actually, <laughs> the town is going to buy that painting. Because they wanted to put it on a T-shirt to try to raise some money. They want to put a, ca- a kitchen and a bathroom in their old school mm-hmm. building, which is now the town hall. Uh, that's another s- scheme I'm cooking up with, with them. <laughs> Let's call it a plan. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so I know that there's a museum, and I know that the blacksmith shop was was redone. Are these actually open to the, to the public? Usually... On Midsummer, which is the big Swedish holiday, yes, that happens, you know, kind of celebration of the longest day of the year. Yes, do it big here. I, apparently, we do it bigger than they do back in Sweden. You hmm. know, back in Sweden, it's just kind of another day, another holiday for them. But here, we, um, you know, dance the old dances and play the fiddles, and it's a it's a big time. One here just a month ago, they were celebrating the 150th anniversary of their coming to the United States to, to here in Maine. Very nice. Of course, it was delayed for two years because, because of the COVID, COVID, so it was really the 152nd year. But, uh, <laughs> they had stuff going on all uh, for three or four days, it seemed like. I only attended once, and that was maybe uh, the first or second year uh, I lived in Maine. I moved here after graduate school, so it was somewhere 75, 76 that was before. That was probably before I I came. I really didn't start attending until we moved. Until we moved here full time. I want to talk about the watercolor with you. I I've done watercolor for a number of years, and then someone introduced me to scratchboard etching. You're not familiar with it? Scratchboard. Uh, is that where you? It's like a clay coated 
paper and well, it's actually it. on a hardboard, and you with the India ink over the it. India ink is over it. And then you take a very sharp tool of some sort and you scratch away the the ink and and to and oh depending goodness. on how you you remove the ink and how much of it, you can create shading. Oh yeah, I think I did that in high school, and in it's very dramatic. Many years so, ago, yeah. So I, I just loved it. And I felt like I had way more control over that than I had over watercolor. Oh sure. As much as I liked watercolor, I often would say, you know, this isn't too bad, but it isn't good. <laughs> yeah, and I was doing that for years. So, uh, what attracted you to watercolors? The one that's in your gallery uh, on Facebook. You have a couple of them, and they're and they're quite good. I couldn't. Uh, I think lilacs might be the the number one that's shown. The first one, I and I really like that one a lot. Well, you've had to show me that. I, that that's not coming to mind. <laughs> but um, you know, uh, I've I've got watercolor stuff, and I of course I hoard art materials anyway. But uh, yeah, you and every other artist. <laughs> but my my wife Jean is is has been taking up watercolor. Actually, I, I bought her a set of uh, watercolor crayons. The Karen Dash, the same as mine, but they're water soluble. Mm -hmm. So she she's been doing really doing this, this. She went out uh, just uh, yesterday. We went down and and did that old farmhouse, and she had a very nice, very nice uh, painting that she did. So she puts the uh, puts the uh, crayons on dry, of course, and then uses water to kind of yes. blend them, which is kind of what I've done you know, before with the uh, using mineral spirits. Mine are, are, uh, I've used watercolor pencils, and my experience has been that once that material from the pencil gets wet, the color becomes really saturated, brilliant. It's lovely. I would just appear so much stronger than, than it is when you're looking at it in its pencil form. It's very, yeah, it sounds like a, a similar, these crayons are similar. Well, how about acrylics? What are you doing with acrylics? I did a few acrylics um, in Florida. I, I bought a big, you know, I bought these massive tubes, of course. I had a whole, I've got a whole set, but I, I, uh, I, did, I need a lot more work. I probably need to take some lessons at the art center to, mm. <laughs> to get to get back into it and the same with oils i i don't know if we said but i'm i'm spending winters in florida yes uh, in venice uh just north of uh Gorda. yes and uh i go out painting with uh several plein air groups the you know, peace river painters with uh, sharon yarborough sarasota there's a sarasota group just a small group that uh, go out uh, you know a little bit further north uh, with uh, Gus, oh shoot, Masker's last name. I'll have to I'll have to look that up again. Um, kind of shepherds us every every Wednesday. Uh, mm -hmm. There's a, a woman, uh, Gail in Englewood, uh, that I've been, just started going out with this year. So and and uh, what's the other group? Uh, Light Chasers in Sarasota as well. So I don't I, I'll go out with them every once in a while on Thursday. But you know, I'm going out. I was going out. You know two or three days a week down there for, for plein air. And, of course, everybody's doing, you know, watercolor or oils. That's kind of the, you know, the one that most everybody does. Some really fantastic artists that, that I go out with. I tried watercolor uh, for plein air, and it, it was a challenge, especially if you were in the sun. 
Oh, yeah. It, it was drying right there as you were laying it down. So that was difficult. So being in the shade was, was helpful. But I'm not a fast painter. I'm not a fast drawer. And the light was constantly changing on me and going along. <laughs> so the shadows that weren't there are now appearing. And shadows that were there maybe were are even longer. So it, it, it was a challenge. Yeah, I, so I found that using a reference photo for me was was more helpful than trying to keep up with with the sun and trying to be speedy. Yeah. Well, that's how I started. I you know I I went down there. I can't remember where I heard about the plein air group with Peace River. Now I'd go out and I was I'd approach it as a photographer. So I would go around and I would take the subject from a lot of different angles. Mm. Um, then I would actually do a final cropping on my phone. All right. Um, and then I would superimpose a grid on that, and I'd actually paint from my phone. So I'm on location, but I'm looking at my phone. To, That's a great idea to do, and uh, uh, it works out great. It worked out great, but over the past, I don't know, it's been seven years or so that I've been doing that. I've gradually gotten so I can just go out. I can decide what I want to paint, and I'll just maybe make a small thumbnail sketch or two, and then and then go at it. So. Um, they've taught me, you know, they've taught me a lot of, of how to paint on location. It's been a lot of fun. I'm glad you're enjoying it. I, re I really do. I'd like to get a group started up here, but I'm too shy to to put out the word. Actually, and I don't usually paint when I'm in Maine. This is the first year that I've really done a lot of work up here. Usually, I'm fiddling in the summertime. I go out with a group from. Uh, New Brunswick, which is not very far away. Just, nope, just over the border yeah. into Canada. Um, the Wednesday Evening Fiddlers. Um, and, uh, of course, they've been on hiatus here for a couple of years because of COVID themselves. Um, but uh, I'm, I'm back. Tomorrow, Wednesday, we're going out to play in the bandstand over in Perth Andover. Very so, nice. So uh, it's uh, it's been a lot of fun. I've been, it's taken me 15 years to learn to play the simple fiddle tunes, but... Try to keep at it. Fiddle is a difficult instrument because there are no frets. I know. You have to be exactly on that neck or you, you're, you're sharp or flat. Oh, yeah, that's me. I've got a tuner here that I have right in front of me when I play. So I'm all, all the time looking to see if I'm, you know, if, if I'm not looking at the notes. Mm -hmm. I'm looking to see if I'm sharp or flat. I don't think I've got a really good ear. Oh. <laughs> so... I can I can play any way and it sounds okay, but I can I can tell I can tell when I playing in tune anyway. But it's hard for me to get there. A difficult instrument by any means. I, I have respect for anybody who can play the fiddle, violin, uh, and and the, the cello, any of those instruments without frets. Mm. I just am amazed that they're able to to be as accurate as they are. I have a real appreciation for people who, who play good. <laughs> Bill, as we're sitting here uh, and, and looking across from the computer, you have a couple of very nice pieces up here on your shelf. Uh, what is this uh, This church? Well, I was down in, actually, I was down on the coast of Maine, um, cliche as it is. Actually, it was a, a cottage that uh, my neighbor up here has, so uh, and she offered us the cottage for a week, so... So we went down, actually it was in exchange for some, some work that I did for her. Um, don't tell the tax people. I won't. 
<laughs> uh, and that is a Baptist church that's in on the road to Jonesport, Maine. A Baptist church. You know that that area, of course, was settled very early. You know, early 1800s. Mm-hmm. So some of those communities were settled in the late 1700s. You know, right on the coast. Right. Uh, had wanted to do that for some time. That you know, we were aware of that. It stopped and taken pictures of that church before. But uh, I wanted to, I wanted to try and paint it. Wish I had, I wish I had had the light on the front of it instead of on the side. But that's a very traditional-looking early church for New England. And as soon as I saw it, I thought to myself, it's a congregational church, which is probably more likely uh, than a Baptist church. It could have been. The detail on that, of course. <laughs> I didn't. I didn't take the time to paint it, but yeah. <laughs> the uh, the detail on the church and the proportions of it, uh, it's just a beautiful building with the bell bell tower yes. on the top there. There's still a bell in there. We, we uh, the the pews are are still there. It's all the pews are all painted white, uh, and the beautiful windows that I think it was like. Uh, how many panes was each in each sash? It was like five, five by four, I think. Mm. Twenty little panes in each sash, and just beautiful light inside. Um, and those are very tall windows. Yes, yeah, must narrow have been. but tall. They seem to be about three to four times tall than they are wide. They might have been twelve. You know, the two sashes together might have been twelve, ten, twelve feet. Mm. Just judging. From how I've got the you know the doors there in the front were were uh, normally proportioned. And soaring soaring ceiling which had uh, was kind of coved in the corners, but just a beautiful 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 building. You've you've really caught the the, uh, the sense of it being an aged building. Very nice. And on the shelf down and over to the right, it's very nice pastel painting. Once again. Looks like there might be a church from my distance from here. Can't I don't see that well, <laughs> but it looks like a steeple on a white yeah, building. Yeah, there is. And uh, the bridge I could tell without any problem. And the water <laughs> seems to uh, be running quite fast. That was the Columbia Falls. That was just up actually up the road from that from the other church that I painted. Uh, and I was thinking about that building, but that had even more detail on it. I was like uh, I just couldn't bring myself to. Do a close-up, so, mm-hmm. um, and I hadn't done I hadn't done water like that for a while, so that was kind of fun. Sat right down, right down on a little perch on the river, um, with my chair and my umbrella. <laughs> Very nice. But that was a that was a hot day, beautiful day. When when you do your your pastel paintings, are you trying to do a representation? In, in kind of an impressionistic way, or, or are you uh, trying to get detail into your work? Uh, I like to try not I, to try not to get too much detail. I mean, my crayons are quarter of an inch uh, thick, you know. So if I don't want to sharpen them all the time, I'm mm. kind of working with pretty blunt uh, point on those crayons. Um, so it, it that kind of keeps me from getting too detailed, but I I do tend to go down into detail when, whenever left to my own devices. Uh, so do I, and uh, I never I never met an artist who said I really want to get tighter. Almost all of us say <laughs> yes. I want to be looser. 
Um, and what I find, I mean, I know, I know the linear perspective enough so that I can actually kind of improvise. Um, I did a kind of an aerial shot of one of the old uh, museum buildings there, um, as if I was up on the up on a tall roof of the of the building next door, looking down. And I actually had to dig out my iPad and I used uh, Procreate, I think, app, the Procreate right. app. And it has like a little perspective so you can set a couple of uh, vanishing points and it'll no draw, kidding. draw a grid for you. So I actually kind of drew that out on there to get my perspective. And then I kind of did it freehand over on my paper. <laughs> well, I, I have taught some beginning drawing classes and perspective has always been the most difficult thing to teach. Some people just don't get it at all. But now there's an app for it. So <laughs> really? <laughs> it takes all the anxiety out of it. That's wonderful. <laughs> I'm glad to hear that. Well, Bill, you and I have had a very nice conversation, and I appreciate you providing me with a, a comfortable place to be out of the rain. <laughs> and uh, I and think the electricity's me, come back on, actually. Yes, and giving me some of your time. It's been a pleasure to talk to you, Bill, and uh, I wish you the best in your painting and art career. Thank you so much. Thanks You're for so stopping welcome. by. Take, take care. And to my listening audience, I thank you for joining us and listening to our talk together. I want all of you to remember, please be kind, visit the art centers, give them the kind of support that they need, wherever you might live, and always help out your local arts. Take care. Until next time, be well. Thanks for listening to the Partnership for the Arts talk show. 